your used car experts. You can find them online at rbcarcompany.com. Okay, some couple of breaking news stories here that we're going to get into. Uh, we will get into some local stuff. We'll have another school board candidate on later on today as well. Paul Pelosi has now pled guilty to DUI. He has been sentenced to a whopping five days in jail because, well, he's got more money than you. And he's got a famous wife. So that's how that works. If you had smashed into somebody and you were drunk out of your mind, blitzed and caused injury to that person, you're not going to get five days in jail. Paul Pelosi, husband of speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, pled guilty to driving under the influence after being arrested in May. Friendly reminder. I feel like it's my obligation to say this. Their lawyer said the other guy hit him. Remember that the news stories came out that Paul Pelosi hit somebody. Paul Pelosi was was drunk and everything else, and then the the lawyer came out and said, there's some misinformation out there. Because every time the left says there's misinformation, of course, it must be true. There's some misinformation out there. Paul Pelosi was minding his own business when somebody plowed into him. Turns out that wasn't true. He caused the accident. He was drunk. We still are hearing that they waited a long time to do the, the breathalyzer to make sure that he would be as low as possible. So he's 82 years old. He pled guilty to one count of DUI. According to court records, he was subsequently sentenced to three years of probation and five days of jail time with credit for any time served. His probation includes eight hours of court work program, a three-month drinking and driving course, and will have an ignition interlock device affixed to his car after a year. He's also paying a whopping $150 fine. You know, and here's, here's the thing. Like, the guy is ultra-rich. So if you're going to stick it to the ultra-rich, why not give him a bigger fine? I would also like, uh, I feel like it's, again, my obligation here, to bring up one other aspect of the case that constantly gets left out of news articles about this. He tried to bribe the cops. What happens if you try to bribe the cops? Huh? What happens? That's right. You get thrown right on your face. You get punched in the head a couple of times. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know there's a story out there about that right now. But you get the gist. You try to bribe a police officer, it's a big deal. And you're not going to pay a $150 fine. You're not going to have a couple of days in jail and then just have probation. He was initially charged with two misdemeanors for driving under the influence. Also, something that would never happen to you. uh, Causing injury and driving with a blood alcohol level of 0.08%. Uh, Again, he was higher than that, but they waited. He initially pled not guilty to both charges at the start of August. Again, tried the uh, the media campaign. I didn't do anything wrong. This guy hit me. I was minding my own business. And uh, Pelosi was uh, arrested in Napa Valley, California, People's Republic of, after he was involved in a car accident while under the influence of alcohol near midnight one Saturday in May. Now, They're, again, saying no injuries were reported from the crash, but that is not exactly accurate. The Daily Caller is is writing this, and the Daily Caller is a conservative news outfit. But um, remember, the other person in the vehicle was approached a day or two later and mentioned that they had some injuries, that they, they were hurt. So it wasn't something that happened at the scene, but it is something that happened shortly after that. I don't know if the person is lying. I don't know if they're spinning it to, to get a settlement or whatever for insurance reasons. I don't know. But it is important to clarify that, that somebody did report some injuries. Okay, Local law enforcement refused to release their body cam footage from the incident due to the ongoing investigation. It's unclear whether this footage will now be released as a result of his sentencing. Oh, I'm sure it won't. 
So what happens now is if anybody is interested, and I assume the Judicial Watch is already on this, FOIA requests got to be filed. See, the body camera footage has to be maintained, which means the police department might not release it, but somebody can compel them to. Anytime there's a body cam involved, you can compel them to release that body cam footage. So we'll see if anybody actually does that. I assume that Judicial Watch is already on this. Uh, may, may even be some local media in California, if any real journalists still exist in California. Might actually be trying to do that. Um, but this is <laughs> $150 fine and a couple of days in jail with probation, which he'll get off early. He's not going to have to do the court work program. He'll show up. He'll shake some hands. He'll write some checks. He'll be out of there. Maybe, maybe they'll put the locking device on his on his uh, car. Maybe, which can easily be defeated. But I digress. So just once again, just he gets treated one way. You get treated a completely different way. Now, in case you think that I'm lying, go speed. Um, you don't have to. I don't want you to hurt anybody. I want you to crash into anybody. But go speed. Get a cop to stop you and then offer to bribe the cop and see what happens to you. Uh, it doesn't matter what police department around Michiana or wherever you're listening to this program, because I know that many of you are in other countries and other states. It doesn't matter what police department. Just go and offer them a bribe. Yeah, just, just see what happens. See what happens to you. If you're lucky, the police officer will look at you and go, you're not offering me a bribe, are you? Because that would be a serious offense. <laughs> but just for giggles, say yes. Say, yeah, I'm trying to bribe you. And just, I want to see what happens to you. And then report back. If you can do that, that'd be great. Uh, let's see. The uh, <laughs> This is, by the way, this is just more of the kangaroo court stuff. Uh, everything that we learned, okay, in the second trial for the fake Whitmer kidnapping, everything we learned there, everything, was that the FBI was even more engrossed in a conspiracy with the Whitmer plot than we previously thought from the first trial, in which there was two exonerations and then two um, two mistrials. So now you got to retry the other two guys, and they got a conviction today. So they, they got the conviction, which makes no sense at all considering what happened in the court, but I digress. So we, we have this. Adam Fox has been found guilty on conspiracy to kidnap and guilty on possession of a weapon of mass destruction. Ah, did he have a pipeline to Saddam or something? You know, this is one of the things when I talk about this. First of all, WMDs were found in Iraq. Anybody who continues to say that they weren't is just completely ignorant of the situation. But beyond that, one of the things that I keep pointing out is our legal definition in the United States of weapon of mass destruction is interesting because we keep trying people for possessing weapons of mass destruction, and they don't have nuclear, chemical, or biological weapons. They don't have any of that, or even radiological it's just basically any bomb. That's kind of where, where they're at. Uh, Barry Croft, guilty of conspiracy to kidnap, guilty of possession of weapon of mass destruction, guilty on possession of a destructive device. That's the the convictions. And, and for the record, I mean, the analysis on this is going to have to continue to go down. Some of the stuff that we've already told you about the trial clearly points out that this is a, a terrible conviction, but I digress. Uh, Julie Kelly, shame on Judge Jonker. He rigged this trial so much the jury had little choice. In both trials, withheld from jury, uh, withheld from the jury, hundreds of incriminating texts between the FBI handlers and the informants refused to compel appearances by Steve Robeson, low-life informant who ate, who aided in the hoax. Now, again, this is where they're going to go ahead and make their claim that this was an unfair trial when they filed their appeal. And they're right, because exculpatory evidence was not allowed to be submitted to the court 
by the judge, which is why it was always a big deal when we found out that one of the FBI's witnesses lied. Julie Kelly continues, limited cross-examination by the defense for the first time, he said, also extremely rare in criminal cases, of two cooperating witnesses allegedly part of the conspiracy, repeatedly scolded defense in front of jury, accused the defense of wasting time over, quote, crap questioning. Really? How do you know what the questioning was? You don't know what the questioning was going to go to. This is a, a clear kangaroo court situation. We know that from the first trial. We knew that from the second trial. Once the case for, for the, uh, the government fell apart, started to fall apart in the second trial, the judge just would not allow the defense to do their job, would not allow evidence to be, to be uh, presented to the jury, which was exculpatory, which, of course, is a major violation of the rights of the defendants, but I digress. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Daniel Harris, this is uh, Michael Martin. Daniel Harris showed up at court yesterday for closing arguments. Harris was acquitted on all counts in the first trial alongside Brandon Caserta. He was accompanied by his attorney, Julia Kelly, and left without making any comments. So, once again, um, it's just, it's bizarre. It's silly. They're going to they're gonna file an appeal, and it's likely going to get overturned uh, based on the evidence. So, just, just so you understood what's going on. Uh, what else do we have here? The other breaking news story, Stephen Alford has been sentenced to five years in prison. Now, if you don't know who Stephen Alford is, Ben, you don't know who Stephen Alford is. Most of you don't know who Stephen Alford is either. And that's because the news media didn't tell you who he was. See, Stephen Alford is the guy who tried to extort Matt Gates and his family for $25 million. That's the guy. Remember when Matt Gates was falsely accused of engaging in an inappropriate relationship with a minor and trafficking her across state lines? Remember that? Yeah, that was a lie. It was all a lie. Did our local news media cover it as a lie? No. They, they told you all about him being accused and what he was accused of doing. They just didn't tell you about Matt Gates' dad actually working with the feds with an undercover sting operation to bust this guy. They didn't tell you any of that, did they? No, neither did the national media. Local media didn't do it. National media didn't do it. This program did. We're about it. So he's been sentenced to five years in prison for a scheme to extort $25 million from the Gates family. Niceville resident Stephen Alford will serve 63 months or just over five years in federal prison for attempting to extort $25 million from Don Gates, a former state Senate president and father of Florida's first district congressman, Matt Gates. The sentencing followed an afternoon hearing and came after District Judge Casey Rogers, no relation, uh, ruled last week that the government had incorrectly attempted to set guidelines for sentencing for stealing $25 million rather than attempting to steal $25 million. Okay. Um, intended loss does not fall within the bounds of reasonable interpretation of the term the term loss. Roger says Alfred's objection uh, to the use of intended loss to determine his offense level under the sentencing guidelines is sustained. So had the prosecutor's efforts to have Alfred sentenced under the presumption of intended loss succeeded, he faced a minimum sentence of 11 years and a maximum of 14 years. But he was able to argue that he didn't actually steal the $25 million. He just tried to. So he doesn't deserve $11 million, uh, 11 years in prison. He just deserves five. So, again, just friendly reminder, though, the guy made up an entire story about him, and the left-wing media just fell for it. And when Matt Gates came out and he finally said, hey, just so you know, we know who this guy is. And I realize that you're all learning about him, but my dad's actually been working with the feds undercover to get this guy. 
Ah, it's a conspiracy theory. There's no evidence of that. Yeah, it turns out it's all true. Once again, left-wing media gets it wrong. More coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Oh, Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin. <clears throat> How dumb are you? Really dumb. Now, here's the thing about Joe Manchin. First of all, I just want to, once again, reiterate, uh, as I have done so before, to all of the Republicans who thought that they could get Joe Manchin to switch parties and that that would be a good thing for the Republicans because we give Republicans a majority in the Senate. And I was like, yeah, but he's a Democrat. Just because Joe Manchin actually opposed a couple of spending bills with Kristen Sinema from Arizona uh, doesn't mean that Joe Manchin is a Republican. Joe Manchin is a Democrat. He doesn't always see eye to eye with the leftists of his party, but he's clearly a Democrat. And as such, I told you, no, Manchin doesn't belong in the Republican Party. You're just going to have another Lisa Murkowski or worse. And I just wanted to take a moment and note that many of you who thought that Manchin should be a Republican have not called and apologized to me yet. So I'm waiting. I, I, I would like that. It's weird. Nobody ever calls to apologize. Nobody even sends a letter to apologize to me. It doesn't even have to be like an actual like physically written letter. It could just be, you know, an email. I won't get it for three years because it'll get buried, but it would be nice if I actually had one. So Joe Manchin, not a Republican, can't, can't trust the guy at all. As I've told you before, when it comes down to the big votes, Joe Manchin will vote with the Democrats every single time. Um, and Joe Manchin was offered a sweet little deal to vote for the spending package. And that's what he took. So he took the sweet little deal. He, uh, he got the, the spending package, which he originally opposed until they came to him. And they said, hey, we're going to give you some stuff. And then he's like, oh, sweet stuff, shiny things. Yes, awesome. I will vote for it. And now the Democrats might be betraying him. Oh, poor Manchin. Manchin is warning Democrats not to back out of a deal after voting for the spending package. You know, you're dumb. I don't know how else to say this. Uh, West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin on Monday warned progressive Democrats against blocking measures to streamline the approval of new energy projects following his vote for the $740 billion spending package that included an array of tax and climate provisions for which they advocated. Oh, did they trick you? Did they did they lie to you, Joe? Boy, it's almost it's almost like that's what they do. I've got the hard left right now saying, hell no, we're not going to do anything now that makes it look like we're helping Manchin, he said, per the Washington Times. Yeah. This is the thing, Joe. When you burn bridges everywhere, you have no allies. I said, you're not helping me. You're helping yourself if you want to get anything built in America. In late July, Manchin made headlines when he announced that he and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had reached an agreement on key provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act, which, of course, will not reduce inflation because it's a stupidly named bill. It's a critical piece of the Biden administration's legislative agenda, which will fail and ultimately be exposed for what it is, a giant heaping pile of steaming China-helping crap. That's what it is. The bill ultimately passed with the support of fellow moderate Democrat Kristen Sinema, Democrat of Arizona, after the party dropped changes to the carried interest tax loophole uh, to win her backing. In exchange for Manchin's support, however, Democrats promised a separate bill that would eliminate bureaucratic red tape impeding the approval of energy projects, especially in West Virginia. Um, they also gave him some stuff in the Inflation Act, too, by the way. But but this is one of those things where he got some stuff in the Inflation the Inflation Act, 
And then they came to him and they said, you know, we'll support this piece of legislation that you want to push through. And now they're not doing it. Oh. House Democrats, however, argue that because they were not part of the deal between Schumer and Manchin, they aren't obligated to support its terms. We sure as heck aren't. We don't owe Joe Manchin anything now. That is Michigan Democrat Representative Rashida Tlaib. So this is Rashida Tlaib basically going, no, we got what we want. We don't owe him nothing. This is a common political tactic for those of you who are not aware. Okay, And this, by the way, um, we could trace this throughout the entire history of the country and, and not just in this country, but in other countries as well. Hey, if you do this for us, we promise to support this next thing that you're proposing. And then you do the thing for them and then they go, we're not going to do the supporting thing that we promised you because we already got what we want from you. Because there's no honor in Washington, D.C. There's no honor. There's very little patriotism. There's very little love for you the average American citizen, it is all about them. They don't care. They just don't care. They don't care about broken promises. They have no shame when they lie to you and they get caught repeatedly lying to you. They'll still go out there and lie to you again. They'll never apologize. They'll never even acknowledge that they lied. They won't do it. This is what the political class does. Ronald Reagan famously was fooled with this, right? He legalized all the illegal immigrants under the promise that the Democrats are going to support border security. Did the Democrats support border security after Ronald Reagan um, went ahead and, and naturalized those illegal immigrants? No, they didn't. Do we still have an illegal immigration problem today? Yep, and it's a lot worse than it was in the 80s. Because he was fooled. And so was Bush. And so were other presidents. So Rashida Tlaib's like, nah, man, we don't owe him nothing. We got what we wanted from him, so he can go pound sand. Democrats don't owe anybody anything in return for passing the bill, says Representative Paul uh, Grijalva, Republican of Arizona, probably butchered that name to apologize. Manchin, however, remained adamant that the terms that he negotiated would be good for the country and warned Republicans as well as opposing the measure, which could risk a government shutdown. And once again, government shutdowns are all here. Here's the here's the reality about government shutdowns, ladies and gentlemen. The government shutdowns always happen because of both sides. Depending on the argument that is happening one side will take the lead in spearheading a government shutdown for political reasons. But at the end of the day, both sides are always responsible for a government shutdown. Always remember that because they will always try and tell you that it's Republicans who are responsible because Republicans won't cave on this issue. Republicans won't do this. Republicans won't do that. They never tell you that the Democrats are doing the exact same thing the Republicans are doing and they're not negotiating either. So it is always both sides. Now, with that said, um, are sometimes one side right in pushing that? Yep, absolutely, 100%. But at the end of the day, there is no one side who's responsible for government shutdown. We can argue who's got the moral high ground in a government shutdown battle, but both sides are responsible for one. This is something the Republican Party has wanted for the last five to seven years. I've been with them, he said. It either keeps the country open or we shut down the government That'll happen September 30th, so let's see how that politics plays out. Yeah, cool, shut it down. Every time the government shuts down, things get better. I don't, you know, it's with the exception of Obama kicking veterans out of the park so they can't actually, you know, do their veteran affairs, um, vet, not veteran affairs, but veteran issues and veteran events. Uh, that was particularly scummy uh, thing for somebody to do, but, but he did anyway. He closed down a park that never closes, and he claimed it was the shutdown that was the reason, which made no sense. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, MNC News Time, 331. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. 
Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. You can find them online at rbcarcompany.com. So once again, the, the push from, we'll just call them like the Davos type people, the people who think that they're elite, but they're really inferior. They're less valuable, less productive than than vast majority of you. These are folks who oftentimes aren't even actively in business. They've already made their money. Um, some of them do, but they're out there telling you, okay? They're out there telling you that you need to stop showering. Or at least dramatically cut back on your showering. Why is it? And I know that this has been said before, but why is it that every single environmental policy pusher wants our society to go back in time like over 100 years? Why is it? Almost every single one. German officials suggesting people use washcloths instead of taking showers to save electricity. Do you think that that German official... The state premier in Germany, do you think he's going to use a washcloth to save electricity, or do you think he's still going to take a shower? Do you think he's going to eat bugs, or do you think he's still going to have exotic proteins? Like they do at Davos. Davos is telling, oh, the world population has to eat bugs. Bugs are sustainable. They're healthy for you. Eat bugs. They don't ever have a Davos lunch where they sample the exquisite cuisine of bug eatery. Don't you think that would be one of the things that they would want to do? Lead by example? Look, everybody else can eat bugs. We're eating roach steak today, and it tastes phenomenal. Mm. And that's all they have to do. But they won't want to do that. No, no, they're, they're dining on exotic proteins and, um, you know, deep sea fish, things like that that you don't get, right, on average. Or if you do get, it's a special occasion. The German state premier suggested that people use washcloths to clean themselves instead of taking so many showers amid the country's energy crisis caused by the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, they've had an energy crisis since before the Russia-Ukraine war, but I digress. Uh, Winfried Kretschmann, the minister-president of the German state of Baden-Württemberg, talked about the energy crisis in Germany and how he conserves electricity in an interview. He said the situation has highlighted the need for Germany to reduce its reliance on Russia, diversify its supply chains, and increase trading with democratic countries. Which, for the record, a certain somebody said at the United Nations. Who was that again? Who was that? Who told Germany that they need to trade more with democratic countries for their energy and to stop relying on Russia? Who was that? That's right, Trump. And he was laughed at by the entire German delegation. Did you see that Germany just delayed the the uh, shutting down of one of their last nuclear reactors because they don't have the energy to get through winter? Did you see that? <laughs> we're going to we're going to need that nuclear reactor after all. Which makes no sense because nuclear is like the only actual clean energy that we have. There isn't another one out there that's clean. Doesn't exist. Haven't found one. It's not hydro. Hydro causes tremendous environmental impact damage. We talked about Lake Powell. 
Uh, Lake Powell is drying up. Lake Powell was created by human beings in the 60s. It was artificially filled up. It's drying up. Lake Powell destroyed an entire canyon. That was a beautiful, beautiful canyon there that people would go to on a regular basis. And it was considered by environmentalists, okay, which I'm not in the camp of, but it considered by environmentalists as being a massive, massive environmental disaster to bury that canyon. So hydro is not environmentally friendly. Um, Wind turbines aren't either. Wind turbines use diesel generators. They use a lot of oil products. Okay, tons of it. Every single year. They basically are a giant salad chopper for birds. Birds fly into them. They chop them to pieces. They still haven't figured out a way to keep birds from going into the turbines, even though it's a really simple solution. If only we had something like a fan in the house to serve as inspiration. I don't know. But then you've got solar. What is solar? Yep, Diesel generators is what produces energy with solar. The battery technology, not environmentally friendly, not green. And then, of course, uh, you have the death rays that shoot birds out of the sky from solar panels. There's that. They're called streamers, by the way, because they get lit on fire and torched, and then they they cause a stream, kind of like the old airplanes that you would see in, in World War I. World War II, they, as they're crashing down, they leave a stream of smoke behind them. Birds do that when they're zapped with a with a solar panel. So that's not that's not environmentally friendly either. Um, the only thing that we have is nucleus. The only one right now where modern reactors don't have any waste, zero emissions, no waste. Old ones had waste. We don't have that problem anymore. Zero emissions and no waste. Nuclear is the only one that is actually green. It's the only one that we have, and they're shutting it down. Because the Simpsons intro has a fish with three eyeballs on it. That's how stupid people are. But again, just going back to the basic point here. Okay. Do you think this guy doesn't shower? Or do you think he's going to be like the mayor of Chicago, Beetlejuice? Do you think that he is going to be one of those guys who, who tells everybody not to go get your hair done, but then they go get their hair done. And then people go, why did you get your hair done? Well, I'm more important. I'm on TV. She said that. <laughs> she said that. So Davos wants you to eat bugs, but they don't eat bugs. This guy wants you to not shower and use washcloths instead. But I'm willing to bet he doesn't do that. I don't think he would let anybody in his family do that. He'd probably leave his wife if she did that. I want you to be very careful with some of the food that you're buying, too. If you want to eat bugs, folks, by all means, go eat bugs. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just that if you don't want to, start looking for a, a specific word that's been showing up on some packaging. Um, this may not even be in the United States at this point in time, uh, but some people have started to post online that they're looking at packages that say sustainable on them. So if you're buying like food, it says sustainable. You flip it over, you end up finding out that there's there's cricket flour and stuff like that in there. So just just be on the lookout for any packages that say sustainable on it and look at the ingredients. Because there's a chance that they might actually have some, some bug product in there as they slowly start introducing it into the population. And then suddenly, like five years down the line, you're going to have news reports like, you've been eating cockroaches and crickets all this time and you didn't care. And then they're going to really push it. So, like I said, they all want you to go backwards. None of them want to. But if you go backwards and they don't go backwards, it makes it easier for them to control your population 
control the population, control your behavior, I should say. Always pay attention to the people who actually do what they ask you to do. Hollywood celebrities that are asking you to go ahead and stop driving, you know, these cars and things like that. Okay, what cars do they drive? What planes do they fly? What boats do they own? Start paying attention to that stuff. Because it is all designed to create this new aristocracy, and you're the peasants. They're the elites. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. So I want to uh, just go over a couple of things here with the Mar-a-Lago stuff. I've already told you this, but I just want to point out that this is now, of course, becoming established. And in spite of the media's efforts to hide this from you, and lie to you and make it seem like Donald Trump was stuffing documents down his pants to, you know, sweep them off into Mar-a-Lago or something like that, as if any president could really do that. That's why the, the Clintons had Sandy Burglar do that. Um, the GSA, the General Services Administration, they're the ones who packaged all of these documents. So a federal agency packaged the documents and sent them to Mar-a-Lago. So if there's any documents who were sent to Mar-a-Lago that should not have been sent to Mar-a-Lago, if, okay, that is the GSA's fault. That is not Trump's fault. Because Trump didn't pack them. His staff didn't pack them. His kids didn't pack them. He didn't invite General Flynn back in to pack them. The GSA did it. And as I talked about yesterday, the GSA famously worked with the FBI to try and frame Trump before. So I believe that there is a, another conspiracy here. The GSA is sending documents that maybe he's not supposed to have. The DOJ is not declassifying documents that he ordered to be declassified. And it's all under the guise of saying, see, he has documents that weren't declassified that he wasn't supposed to have, and they're all in his house. Um, even though none of that would apply anyway, for all of the reasons that we highlighted yesterday as a matter of record with federal courts. The federal courts, like I said, Clinton's sock drawer, exonerates Donald Trump of any wrongdoing. That was uh, Judicial Watch, a conservative think tank, watchdog group, who is responsible for exposing more government corruption probably than any other group because of FOIA requests, and they have that down to a science. They wanted to get access to what was on the audio tapes that Bill Clinton would re record in the Oval Office. Bill Clinton kept those tapes in his sock drawer, and they wanted access to them. National Archives... And the Department of Justice argued in federal court that they didn't have a right to those tapes because the tapes were Bill Clinton's property. And as the president, he has the sole right to decide what is and is not his property out of all of the documents in his term. And he can declassify anything he wants or he can keep private anything he wants. So you've already got a federal court ruling that says the raid doesn't make any sense. They've already established and the DOJ has argued in court that a president has the authority to bring these documents to their personal house anyway. Beyond that, Trump didn't even pack them up and send them there. The GSA did. So if there is anything there that wasn't supposed to be there, it would be their fault, not his. So next, now you've got some memos that are coming out. And these memos prove that the Biden White House is behind all of this, which I know is a giant non-shocker. 
According to numerous government documents reviewed by John Solomon of JustTheNews.com, Biden White House assisted the National Archives, the Department of Justice, and the FBI in the investigation of President Donald Trump's removal of documents from the White House to his Mar-a-Lago residence in Florida. Ah, but they said the official White House story is Joe Biden doesn't know anything about any of this. The old Obama defense. No, no, we read about it in the paper just like the rest of you. We had no idea what was going on. What are you talking about? That Another lie. Another lie. Hey, hey, uh, retired uh, local news anchor, still waiting for my apology on Facebook. Still waiting. Still waiting. In a May 10th letter to Trump's attorney, acting National Archivist Deborah Steidel, uh, Steidel Wall, excuse me, she's a three-namer, you know what I say about those people, who replaced the Trump-hating David Ferrero in April of 2022, informed the former president that his protective assertion of executive privilege had been waived by, by former Vice President Joe Biden. <laughs> the counsel to the president has informed me that former Vice President Biden defers to my determination regarding whether or not I should uphold the former president's purported protective assertion of executive privilege, Wall wrote. I have therefore decided not to honor the former president's protective claim of privilege. Really? Oh, some bureaucrat who's not elected gets to waive a presidential uh, a presidential universal right, huh? Really? Yeah, that's not how this works. According to Solomon, in doing so, Biden eliminated one of the legal defenses that Trump might use to fight the FBI over access to his documents. Nonetheless, Trump's lawyer cited executive privilege in a recent lawsuit filed against the Biden administration, which also argued the raid was a violation of his Fourth Amendment uh, freedom of illegal search and seizure rights, which, of course, it clearly was based on just the content of the warrant. So isn't that nice? (laughs) No, 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 no. Biden just um, basically just waived your executive privilege rights. You can't do that. (laughs) This is hysterical stuff. I mean, it's hysterical that it wasn't so sad. Let's be honest. If there ever is a boo, conservatives are going to have more fun than liberals. I mean, not that I would ever want that. I would never want a boogaloo. But if there ever is one, conservatives are going to be the ones who have a good time. Good Lord. we got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Make sure you follow me on Rumble. Rumble.com slash Casey, the host. You can watch the live stream. Uh, you're about to watch me stuff my face with, uh, with an Asian soup. So... There's an OnlyFans for that, I guess. More coming up. Hey, good afternoon. Casey Hendrickson here. Got to tell you about Jason's Automotive in Edwardsburg. This is where we take our vehicles for routine maintenance and any repairs that come up. I'll tell you about an experience my wife had uh, a month or two ago. So on her newer vehicle, it was, it was you know, strange. Got a check engine light that came on. Um, some couple of weird things ended up happening. So she took it over there just to see what was going on, and it, it ended up being like a 30-cent part or something like that that was easily replaced and fixed. But but nonetheless, I mean, it was you know quick. It was easy. They were professional. They explained to her exactly what was going on, what would need to be done, all of that stuff, and uh, the repairs were, were made. It's just that's what you want, right? You want a mechanic to be pretty straightforward with you, honest with you, not rip you off, and you want somebody who's going to stand by their work. Uh, they, uh, they even did a follow-up just to make sure that everything was doing well uh, a couple of days after that. So Jason's Automotive, you know, it's a great business to work with. Like I said, we've had really good experience with them, and it's always nice when you have a mechanic that you can trust, especially if there's major repairs involved, because you want to make sure that you're getting the best price, but also that they're going to stand by their work. That's ultimately what people want. They want their vehicle repaired, they want it repaired the right way, and they want to make sure that the work is going to be stood behind by the company that does those repairs. 
Uh, if you go to jasonautotruckrepair.com, you can learn more. So whether it's your routine maintenance or something major, you're doing a change of season service on your vehicle, you can go there. They also have Napa parts, which have a nationwide warranty as well. Go check out Jason's Automotive in Edwardsburg, Michigan. They're at 26771 Main Street. Just let them know that I sent you. All right. Um, I want to want to address this. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> Thanks, uh, New York Post. Now, I'm sitting here looking at this story about uh, staffers over at News Nation. And most of you know that I've, I've developed a relationship with News Nation now. Um, but staffers at News Nation are being angry about having to promote Chris Cuomo's new show in their email signatures. And I, I go to scroll on there, and the first image that I see is a woman wearing a thong bikini bent over with her butt cheeks facing the camera. And they played a video about some Brazilian butt lift story that is happening. So I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks very much. Um, by the way, ladies' fake butts are not attractive to any guy. There's no guy out there that I know who likes fake butts. Other fake things, depending on the surgeon, can be very nice. Uh, fake butts, don't know anybody who likes them. Not a single person. So there's a, it's not a simple solution, okay? It, well, I should, it's a simple solution, but it's not easy. You want a bigger butt, squat. Squat with heavy weight. Go look at the transformations for women who had flat butts. Suddenly they have butts. What did they do? They squatted a lot with heavy weight. Do that. You'll get a butt. You don't need to go under the knife and have a piece of flappy something or other put back there that doesn't look attractive to anybody. Don't, don't worry about it. Just, just trust me on this. This is, this is my free advice for the ladies. In fact, I might just start doing a show. Just a free advice for ladies. Don't get a fake butt. Not attractive. Anyway, <clears throat> the fledgling cable TV network, this is the New York Post, that has hired Chris Cuomo to host a primetime show this fall is already asking staffers to promote the disgraced anchor, and some are not happy about it. Cuomo, whose old 9 p.m. CNN show, Cuomo Primetime, averaged 1 million nightly viewers in its final year. It was the most popular show on CNN, by the way. It's being heralded as uh, by the brass and News Nation as a savior for the network, a message that's provoking grumbling among the rank and file, according to uh, sources with On The Money. This is going to be like Sirius XM with Chris instead of Howard Stern. One source griped. Employees of News Nation launched less than two years ago. Uh, let's see. Are likewise bristling over recent requests to plug Cuomo's new show at the bottom of their email signatures. All right. So we got... On the money, never heard of on the money, don't know what it is, all right? But people are going to on the money, and they're basically telling them, these are employees of News Nation, and saying, yeah, we, we don't really, we don't want to do this. Uh, one person said, it's all about Chris. Can you believe that they are asking employees to all plug Chris and not their own shows? Uh, the Cuomo email signature, which shows the 52-year-old talking head against a blue background with the plug coming this fall to News Nation, stands in contrast to the network's typical email signatures, which depict all of its top anchors, uh, according to sources. Now, okay, well, here's the thing. Um, I reached out to a News Nation source that I have. Again, you know that I have uh, some people over at News Nation. I asked them about this. I said, look, is there any truth to this? What's going on? And they got back to me and they said, um, honestly, this is fairly common for us when we have a new show to promote that show and our email signatures. And, and then, you know, after a certain period of time, we rotate back to our old signatures. So from what I've heard, 
this is a pretty much a giant nothing burger. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't some employees who are furious about this. Keep in mind, uh, Chris Cuomo is a sleazeball. It doesn't matter what you think of his content. doesn't matter what you think of his politics or his brother. He's a sleazeball. This is a guy. This is a guy who groped a woman in front of her man. This is a guy who's been accused of sexually harassing several people. And a lot of folks are not happy about having him at News Nation. Um, and, and News Nation, for the record, like I, said, I like some of their content. I don't like others. I've been on Rush Hour. I enjoyed my experience with Rush Hour. I think that the host did a great job. Um, I watch them more regularly now than I did before simply because of my relationship with them. And there's some content that's really good and some that needs work. As with every single radio radio and television station that exists. It's just that way, right? Nothing's going to be universally good, um, especially with an agency that's basically two years old. They're, they're part of the WGN family, but they're still only two years old. So they're still finding themselves in, in what they're doing. And with that said, um, you know, some of the guests and pundits, as we saw in my panel, are of low quality. The, as time goes, they will get better talent. They will get people like me who are amazing and awesome and actually know the issues and have read up on the thing that we're supposed to talk about before we go on the air. Uh, but it's going to take time for people to really want to kind of do that. So it's, you know, it is what it is. But my source at News Nation says this is a fairly common practice for the network. It isn't anything that is considered to be out of the norm. The people who are talking uh, here in the New York Post article are saying that it is, it is atypical and that it's it's you know not up to snuff. So I'll leave that up to you to decide on this thing. But you're going to have people who don't want to promote Chris Cuomo because, well, they don't like Chris Cuomo because he's a sleazeball and he's dishonest. And we know that. Now, that doesn't change the fact that people watched his show on CNN. And while his ratings were terrible compared to his competition, a million people is nothing to sniff, you know, snub your nose at. I mean, anybody would be happy with a million people in their audience, except for people who come from audiences where you have 10 million people. Then they wouldn't be happy with a million because that means something is clearly wrong. But, you know, any one of us would be happy with a million people out. I know I'd be happy with a million people in my audience. I think that most of you who do any kind of streaming or anything like that would be happy with a million people too. Um, it just wasn't ratings, ratings gold at all in that time slot versus the competition. So, again, some people are upset about it because they don't like Cuomo. I'm just letting you know that there doesn't appear to be a massive scandal here. It just appears that some people are really ticked off that they're being asked to promote him when they have some serious moral objections to the existence of Chris Cuomo at that network, which makes perfect sense considering his reputation and everything that has happened. And, and I don't think that Chris Cuomo gives News Nation any credibility. I really don't. Um, I know that some people over at News Nation think that this is going to be a big deal for them, but I don't think that this helps them in any way. They're they're positioning themselves, as every news agency tries to do, as a you know pretty fair, balanced, down-the-middle sort of a news outfit, and bringing Chris Cuomo kind of destroys that. Now, with that said, they are actually featuring you know people on the right as well. So as a network, they're trying to bring in left-wing and right-wing talent, and when they do shows like Rush Hour, they try to have two people on either side, and that's what they're trying to do. Will some people appreciate that? No, um, but it, it's very much in the mold. Not exactly, but they're, they're along the lines of the old Hannity and Combs. You know, we're going to have people of all sides here, and then you can watch us all day, get every perspective, and come up with your own opinions about what's going on. 
Uh, to do that, though, they're going to need much better guests than some of the pundits that I've seen who don't know basics. Uh, they had a, I don't remember what show it was. The host was actually really good, but they had a pundit on who was talking about the legalities of the Mar-a-Lago document stuff. And this was supposedly an attorney who didn't know the basics of what was happening. It was, it's very strange when you watch this stuff because if I'm going to be on TV, it's like, hey, I'm going to be on TV. I might as well make myself, you know, appear somewhat intelligent. And there's a lot of people who don't do that. So I usually look up the topic. I, I research it. I have my notes. Um, I go over the notes, you know, because I figure I have a kind of an idea of where the conversation is going to go. And there's just so many people who don't know anything about a topic who are pundits on said topic just because they get asked to. And it's like they couldn't be bothered to look up what they were discussing and they don't have the basics down. It drives me absolutely bonkers. It's kind of like um, my old U.S. history teacher who didn't know anything about U.S. history. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. All right, here's here's the thing. We are just talking about this during a commercial break. Travis Tritt, country music Hall of Famer. Travis Tritt, right? First of all, big fan of Travis Tritt. Second of all, Travis Tritt's one of us. Third of all, Travis Tritt is coming to town. Fourth of all, Travis Tritt is on Truth Social. Fifth of all, so am I. Sixth of all, I tagged Travis Tritt about him coming to town and asked him to be on my show. So here's what I need you to do. If you have Truth Social, go to my profile. You tag Travis Tritt. You tell him to come on this show. Okay? That's all I'm asking you to do. <laughs> Travis Tritt needs to come on this program. I would love to have him here. That would be a lot of fun to have Travis Tritt on this program. I would even do a long-form interview with the guy on the podcast and just play you segments of it. However, it had to happen. But, yeah, this is a, that would be a lot of fun. But Travis Tritt is coming to town. He's coming to The Learner. Um, and I would love to have him on this show. So if you're on Truth Social, make sure you tag him to reach out to me so we can go ahead and get this done. I think that would be a lot of fun for the audience. Okay. Oh, man, so much going on right now. Let's talk about Canadian A. Eh? This is one of the reasons why you need to be very aware of universal healthcare type stuff. A Canadian soldier who is suffering from PTSD called the Veterans Affairs Hotline in Canada. The person on the other end of the line offered medical assistance with dying numerous times. Now, some of you are like, wait a minute, I don't understand. Uh, see, they have euthanasia up there. And I know that many of you and I disagree on euthanasia, but I also understand your concerns. With that said, this is a guy who just has PTSD and he's looking for help and they offer to kill him. That is their solution. The veteran stated that the service agent told him that euthanasia was better than blowing his brains out all over the wall or driving his car into something. Huh? Now, I know that this is Canada that we're talking about here, but um, the Canadians are often with us when we are on deployment too. And as such... Um, even though I make fun of our Canadian northern neighbors quite a bit because it's so easy, it is still important to understand that they're an ally and they assist us with a lot of military operations and they deserve to be respected by their own country in carrying out those missions and to have their veterans' affairs basically tell them, 
oh, you got PTSD? Well, here, we can, uh, we can offer to give you an injection and have you go to sleep rather than you killing yourself. The statement could be and likely was extremely damaging, especially since the law is not within the scope of the, the VAC, Veterans Affairs Canada. The service agent also allegedly told a Canadian soldier that they helped another veteran access and repeatedly brought it up uh, as the option before he had to tell them to stop. Obviously, he says he feels betrayed and he's outraged, and so is his family. Now, could you imagine being the family of this guy? And let's say he wasn't suicidal. He's just dealing with stress because of the environment that he's in. And like, I have a friend with PTSD who cannot have fireworks around. And he hates the 4th of July. He hates New Year's because it affects him tremendously. I love fireworks and I love blowing stuff up. Guess whose house I don't go to on the 4th of July? He's got to be isolated. I, you know, we make sure that he's okay. How you doing? We check in on him. You know, that sort of thing. But he can't be around the fireworks. So he gets these noise-canceling headphones, I think, and he, he keeps himself from, from hearing as much as he possibly can. But if this guy wasn't suicidal, and then he called this hotline, and then he became suicidal, what if he took them up on their offer? How horrible... Not only for him, but for his family. The VAC says that they do not record phone conversations in order to protect the privacy of uh, individuals. That's why. Sure. So the Canadian government doesn't record those phone calls. Yeah, okay. They had not been able to corroborate the allegations made by the veteran. Uh, he says that his concerns were only addressed after he filed multiple complaints about the service agent since July. A spokesperson for the Veteran Affairs Canada said when the veteran client called VAC to share what had happened on the call, we immediately took action to address the situation and apo apologize to the client. Okay. But now you've got a situation where what if there is further damage that has been done here? Keep in mind, we're dealing with people who are dealing with traumatic injuries and things like that, including mental. So what if there's additional damage here? Just from somebody saying, yeah, yeah, just you know, kill yourself. Oh, we can do it peacefully. Don't shoot yourself. Don't run into somebody. You know, just, yeah, just go ahead and kill yourself. It's, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, we've helped several people do it. Okay, if that's true, and they've helped several people do it before, was that person suicidal when they called? Or did they push that person into suicide? As director of the Minister of Veterans Affairs, the deputy minister will oversee a thorough internal investigation into this matter and take any appropriate administrative actions necessary to ensure this situation does not happen again. In addition, all VAC frontline staff will be provided training as a reminder of the expectations and the available programs and services offered by the department to support the health and well-being of veterans. Okay. Um... I mean, a bare minimum, it would be a firing if they end up corroborating this, right? Bare minimum, it would be a firing. Um, it could potentially, depending on how things go in in the law in Canada, because in the United States, if you drive somebody to suicide, you can actually be charged criminally. We've had several cases of that, where somebody had expressed that they might be having those types of thoughts, and people encourage them to do it. Those people can be charged with a crime. This is... Um, Again, this is this is Canada. So there's a lot of you like, oh, well, it's just Canada. Yeah, but there's a lot of people who want this stuff here. They want this type of a healthcare system here.
And as we told you before, one of the big dangers of a universal system is that they will have rationing. Obama famously endorsed rationing. Remember the death panel thing that they tried to say wasn't true, and then, of course, it was right there in the bill, and then they had to rewrite that provision so it wasn't a death panel anymore, and then they tried to say that Sarah Palin was lying about death panels. It was absolutely true. I read, I read the statute on my show, which allowed a bureaucrat to decide if it was worth the cost to give certain people medical care. We've had stories since then, under Obamacare, where certain medications, which are really expensive, get no coverage under Obamacare because all they do, all they do is prolong life. They don't cure the disease. That is in our country right now. That exists right now for people with certain Obamacare policies on the healthcare exchange. They can't get those drugs. Or they have to pay cash, which of course is sometimes thousands of dollars per pill. There are people who want this here. So when stuff happens in Canada, when stuff happens in the UK with a program that is being advocated for by the left here, I try to make it known to you because that's ultimately what they're trying to do. Be very aware of this stuff. MNC News Time is 431. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. And good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I am your host, Casey Hendrickson. I told you before, there's something changing. We're at a point now where people who run for school board are coming on to radio shows and actually campaigning. And this is something that we haven't really seen in this country before. But things have changed as parents become aware of what's happening in our schools. Joining us right now is Brian Jones, who's running for PHM School Board, Harris Township. Brian, how you doing, ma'am? I'm doing great, Casey. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I appreciate the time today. Um, obviously, as I said in the intro, and this is not something that typically happens in election cycles that school board members end up actually, or people who are running for school board actually end up campaigning. Um, so tell people who you are and, and why you're running for school board. Well, yeah, thanks. So, uh, so I appreciate it. You're right. I mean, in the last, I don't know, maybe 12 to 15 years, I think every school board race here in town has, has been uncontested. And I think this is the first time that you're going to see uh, each race that's each seat that's open be contested. Um, you know, and then I decided to jump in because I've been pretty active in school board meetings over the last two and a half years. And I'm, I'm just, a, you know, I'm, I'm a father of uh, children that have been in PHM that are currently in PHM. And it all started back with uh, return to learn and, you know, we had virtual school versus, um, uh, you know, hybrid in class. And the, the debate was, hey, should we be in school? Should we not be in school? And that's where I started really getting involved. And over that time, um, you, know, you just start seeing things that, that you don't necessarily agree with, that you don't think are right. And I think right now the reason I'm running is because if you look at the mission of PHM School Corporation, the very first line is, provide an educational environment for students to reach their highest academic achievement. And based on some of the things that we talk about and some of the things that you hear about that are in schools, um, that environment's not um, conducive to the to reach their highest academic achievement. And test scores over the last eight years would show that. Now, what do the test scores actually show? Because I've seen that you've posted about this before. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in those scores? 
Yeah, so um, if you look at like the the height of PHM was back in 2013, and, and corporation wide, you had about you actually had an 88 percent proficiency rate at grade level, where every single school in the system was above 80 percent, except for one at 76 percent. And then you start going forward, and year by year, you see more and more tick down. So uh, that was 2013. In 2015, you see nine of the 15 schools in PHM. Uh, under 75%. Uh, that holds true for a couple years. Then it goes to 10 under uh, 75%. And we're not talking about 74, 73%. We're talking 52, 61. I'm just reading off a couple numbers, even at 50%. And then all the way to 2021, where you've got uh, the whole school corporation versus 88% in 2013, we're at 47% proficiency level and grade level. So that's five out of 10 kids aren't proficient at the grade level. Um, 14 of those schools in the system uh, are below 75%, and six of them are below 50% proficiency. So uh, it's been a trend over time that's happened. It wasn't just a COVID-related thing, as, as some of the articles lately would say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the things you read in the paper also say, hey, I wouldn't be too alarmed about it, but um, I, I would say that I would be alarmed about it because it's a trend that's, that's driving down over time, and we're not focused on the things that are – you know, we're focused on a lot of things that don't drive academic success, is my opinion. And again, we're talking with Brian Jones. He is running for Penn Harris Madison School Board, Harris Township. And Brian, one of the things that that I always find very, I, I mean, it's almost surreal because I've been here for 11 years now. And when I moved to town, one of the first things that I heard is, hey, when you have kids, get them in Penn. Um you know, we used to carry Penn Kingsman football, and you know, this is—it was always a, a big rallying cry. Get, get—I think we still might actually have that. But get, get your kids into Penn. Penn is the great school district here. It's not just for athletics, but also for academics. And now, what I'm seeing is some of the staunchest defenders of Penn and some of the staunchest fans of Penn over the past, you know, 11 years, like they're pulling their kids out. They're they're desperately trying to get away from Penn. That and, and some of this was happening slightly before COVID too. COVID obviously accelerated some of it, but if we're looking at from 2013 to 2021, a proficiency for for grade level proficiency dropping by about 41 percent, that should alarm anybody. Anybody who thinks that that isn't a big deal is probably clueless. Well, I, I yeah, I would I would agree with that. And and what I think is, I mean, I'm I live where I live today. I moved here. Uh, almost 20 years ago, and I moved, my wife and I chose to live where we live because of PHM. Um, that was one of the main things that put us where we are. And, you know, I will say there's there's two schools that are still doing very, very well, and it's Prairie Vista School and North Point Elementary. Um, those have always been very high-achieving schools. I think they're number one and number two in the state. Um, but all the rest of this, I wouldn't say all the rest, the majority of the rest of the schools, I mean, we have, we have some schools that are at 23% grade level proficiency, which just isn't really acceptable. And, you know, there's a lot of families out there that have the ability and the resources to pull their kids through really tough times, you know, centered around families and faith. And there's a lot of kids that depend on the school systems um, to provide uh, resources for physical fitness, for nutrition, and all this kind of stuff. And through the shutdown, we, we didn't have that. And there's a lot of people that, that really count on the school to provide remediation efforts. We saw a really good example of that last night at the school board um, with uh, the principal, I believe, from Schmucker Middle School talked about uh, interventionists. And it's a really great program, 
I just don't think we have enough resources dedicated to it to all the kids that need it. Um, and that's why you see these levels. And I think those programs are very effective. We just aren't putting enough time and resources towards the things that are going to drive academics. So what are some of the, the ideas, the plans that you have, Brian, is, is somebody who would be coming into the, the school board for Harris Township, you'd be on PHM's board. What are some of the things that you think can be done to improve this and turn this around? Well, again, I think, you know, the resources, you have to take a look at the budget and say, hey, what kind of stuff are we, what are we putting our resources towards? Um, I think you could, you could funnel less money from, uh, let's say, more administrators and, and special projects that are not aimed directly at academic achievement, more towards that with more resources for people to do immediate remediation and get kids back to grade level proficiency. Another thing that I would do, um, you know, a lot of people, I'm sure you've heard this, Casey, that there's a lot of parents that are, uh, frustrated with the level of transparency, feedback, yeah. and inclusion uh, to the decisions that are being made. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that, that I would do is, I don't know why, I mean, and I've told people this a lot when I'm talking to people out in the community, but in the couple of years that I've gone to school board meetings, I think I could probably count on one hand the number of buckets that I could throw parental concerns in, right? And that's over a span of two years, and a whole lot of people have gotten up in front of the school board and spoken. I don't know why it's not feasible to, at the end of every meeting, summarize, hey, these are the five things that I heard that are really pressing on your minds, right? Next meeting we come back, we're going to talk about what we've done to address those things. Um, And even if it's just, hey, it's a super complex situation and we're working through it, there's a lot of things we got to figure out. At least you're giving feedback to people that have concerns instead of not really addressing it at all. Yeah, or getting into verbal arguments with parents as some Penn staff has been doing throughout the uh, the past couple of years. So what do we what do we do yeah. about parental? This is always a big you know the big catch all is well we need more parental involvement right? They always say they want parental involvement and then they don't really want parents mm-hmm. involved. Communication is one thing, but parents have to be involved. And and I would assume that one of the best ways that parents get involved is to know the curriculum and be able to help their kids with that curriculum at home. And Penn has always kind of been hiding the curriculum, and I don't know why that is. Yeah, I mean, it, it should be clearly communicated. I mean, that's actually, you know, I talked about the mission statement a minute ago. The first line is provide the, you know, environment to reach highest academic achievement. One of the vision statements is to, uh, our curriculum is clearly defined, um, you know, rigorous integrated with technology and innovative teaching strategies. I, it's arguably that it's not clearly defined because people have a whole lot of questions that they don't seem to be able to get answers to. Now, Brian Jones, again, running for Penn Harris-Madison School Board in Harris Township. There's going to be some people who probably listen to this. Maybe they see some of your posts on social media, Brian, and they're like, okay, uh, yeah, he's he's for parents, but he's against teachers. So uh, that's clearly not the case. It, somehow it's, be, it's, somehow it's <laughs> become like if you're for one, you're against the other. Uh, <laughs> so, But just, just to satisfy you know anybody's curiosity or questions, what are your what are your ideas for teachers improving teachers' ability to do their jobs, supporting teachers in the classrooms, uh, and that sort of stuff? Well, you know, there's no way that you can't support teachers. They're the ones that are that are doing all the work, and they're the ones that are charged with having safe and effective classrooms, right? I think what they need is the support to know that 
they have an environment that can be the most conducive environment without distractions in the classroom to be able to to teach our kids what they need to know again to get back to this academic excellence and you know return phm back to the, the standard of excellence that everybody knows and deserves um you know again full support for teachers my first thing that i would do i like to ask a lot of questions uh people get super annoyed at me sometimes with asking questions but you know all you can do is ask questions all you can do is listen and try to understand and there's room for every opinion at the table um you just have to be able to to uncover uh what's attainable um you have to focus everything back to the mission uh, which is academic achievement and uh, preparing people to be contributing citizens as they leave PHM school. And if we're not focused on doing those things, then we're not focused on the mission. And if that's what they want to do, we should change the mission. But I think the mission's right. Um, however, look, teachers, super, super important. They need our support more than ever. They need to know that they can count on the school board, the administration to stand behind them uh, to deliver the quality, ex- uh, the quality education that uh, everyone has come to know and love and deserve from PHM schools. All right, Brian Jones, final thoughts and how people can learn more about you and support your campaign. Yeah, look, um, I appreciate you having me on here. I mean, I'm on uh, on Facebook at um, Brian, jo- Brian Jones for uh, PHM School Board. And I am uh, my website is www dot jones for phm there's lots of ways you can get involved on that there's links to my facebook there um check it out i think you'll like what you uh you see and again it's all about academics it's all about you know the the collaboration of the entire community teachers students parents administration coming together to solve some of the problems that we have um and getting back to the standard of excellence that uh phm is known for well, Brian, I appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Casey. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Best of luck with the campaign. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Take care. And again, the Jones. The website is jones4phm.com. Jones4phm.com. I want to thank you for coming on to the program today. Get more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. And be like bowling. If you've ever been to the driving range and flip-flops, you, you know you can do it. You can wear your my pillow slippers over to the to the golf course. You'll be just fine. <clears throat> You'll be just fine. Ask me how I know. Anyway. <laughs> uh, speaking of Penn Harris Madison, want to thank uh, Brian for coming on the program. Penn Harris Madison School Board tabled a recommendation to modify the district's student handbooks this week after groups on opposite sides of the issue objected to an amendment relating to the use of students' preferred pronouns at school. In an unexpected decision Monday, the school board members abandoned proposed changes after a group of conservative parents and advocates for LGBTQ youth both spoke up against the policy. The discussion stems from an addition made in the school district student handbook in the spring and reflects growing divisions across the country about how best to address these issues in schools. So in April... um, the annual adoption, which is done by PHM School Board, they voted unanimously to approve student handbook for the 2022-2023 school year. Again, they do this every year, right? Uh, within the handbook was new language outlining how to request name and pronoun changes for elementary, middle, and high school students. Now, for the district's youngest students in elementary and middle school, the language approved in April states, quote, 
the child's parent is asked to contact the school administration to request the change. The high school version of the handbook, however, writes such inquiries can be initiated by the student and or the family. Now, months later, a group of of parents who are being called conservative um, spoke up against the language in a July school board meeting. The group accused administrators of using the handbooks to introduce ideological indoctrination without parents' knowledge, which is, of course, what is happening. Uh, The group, which calls itself Strength in Our Schools, they're great people. We've had them on the program many times, has regularly attended PHM board meetings over the last year and attached itself to a number of right-leaning, hot-button issues. And here's the thing. I love how they call this right-leaning. No. That's not at all what's going on. This isn't a conservative or liberal thing. So this is the local rag, I mean paper, trying to basically say that this is a liberal versus conservative thing. No, it isn't. This is a parental rights thing. There are plenty, plenty all over. We've highlighted dozens and dozens of examples of this, of people who are politically liberal who oppose this stuff. But this is an effort by a biased paper, once again, to make this about conservative versus liberal. This isn't. This is about your kids. But once again, both sides at a time, both sides opposed it uh, because they, they didn't like the the language they posed it for different reasons but they didn't like the language so it's been basically you know stopped at this point in time but what you got to be careful of this stuff they're trying to frame everything as oh right wing versus left wing and these are conservative parents because they think that they can use that as a slander as opposed to the parents just like yeah i, I kind of don't want you you know indoctrinating my kid without me knowing about it that would be nice as their mom and dad it would be nice for me to know what's happening in my child's life without you hiding it from me so i don't wake up one day with a kid who's, you know, now a substance abuse victim or somebody who has harmed themselves because you kept it from me and I wasn't able to interfere on behalf of my child. That's really what's going on here. Now they're going to try and make it about a simple politics issue? That's not it. Highly, highly unethical writing. More coming up, 95.3 MNC. Good afternoon. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. I'm your host, Casey Hendrickson. Do you want to thank R&B Car Company, locations in South Bend and Warsaw. R&B Car Company are your used car experts. You can also watch the live stream, rumble.com slash Casey, the host. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Also hit that rumble button, too. I would appreciate that. Helps the channel out quite a bit. Teachers Union boss Randy Weingarten admitted this week to spreading disinformation about conservative legislation. She shared a tweet over the weekend posted by an account called Freezes Patriot that claimed Florida has banned books such as To Kill a Mockingbird and A Wrinkle in Time. Quote, I'm not going to say where this list came from due to protecting sources, but if this list is wrong, then I invite Ron DeSantis, they tagged Ron DeSantis on Twitter, to publicly state the books on his list will not be banned in Florida schools and he intends to protect students' rights. I will take it down if he does, the account tweeted. Weingarten shared the tweet, and it's fake list of banned books and said, books we have taught for generations, she says. So Weingarten is out there saying, oh my gosh, we've, we've taught these books for generations. And Ron DeSantis is trying to go, by the way, you see his new Top Gun ad? Ron DeSantis' new Top Gun ad? I might play that for you, actually, on the show today. Um, attacking fake news. It's fantastic. Top Gun, by the way, uh, passed uh, Avengers Endgame for like the number six grossing film of all time. So Weingarten shares this thing and basically is attacking Ron DeSantis, books that we have uh, taught for generations. Now, my immediate thought on this uh, is where was she 
when many school districts banned To Kill a Mockingbird. Where, where was she? It was banned by liberals. There's several stories here. Here's, here's one. Liberals banned, uh, liberals banned To Kill a Mockingbird. Every record has been destroyed, falsified. Every book rewritten, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so this is what, what when, did, when did this happen? We've done this story several times where To Kill a Mockingbird has been banned multiple times. Uh, yeah, they quoted uh, Orwell there. Uh, during a virtual meeting on September 9th, middle and high school English teachers in the Burbank Unified School District received a bit of surprising news. Until further notice, they would not be allowed to teach some of the books on their curriculum. Five novels have been challenged at Burbank. And again, To Kill a Mockingbird was on there. Huck Finn was on there. Mice and Men. Uh, you, you get the idea. We've done several stories where To Kill a Mockingbird had been banned by left-wing activists. So where was she then? Where was she admonishing them? Oh, her bread is buttered there. She doesn't admonish them. But it doesn't matter because uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' press secretary, Brian Griffin, quickly pointed out that the accusation was false. The state of Florida has not banned To Kill a Mockingbird, he said. In fact, Florida recommends the book in eighth grade. Weingarten admitted in a follow-up tweet on Monday that the list of banned books she shared was fake. Now, it's one thing if you have your average schmo out there retweeting stuff. It's another thing if you head up the largest teachers union in the country and you're a political activist and you share tweets without verifying them uh, to push your political agenda against somebody that you see as a public, as a, uh, as a political enemy, which is what she did. Now she says, I should have double checked before I retweeted this. My bad. Yeah, you should have. But also, you should have been angry at all of the left-wing people who've been banning To Kill a Mockingbird and Huck Finn and others. Remember Lois, I can't do math, I'm just an attorney learner? You know, Lois Lerner, who is responsible for illegally targeting conservative groups and using the IRS as a political instrument against political opponents? Remember that? And how she wasn't punished for any of that at all? The Internal Revenue Service will have nearly 87,000 new IRS agents due to Biden's newly signed Inflation Production Act, and the IRS will be creating a new centralized office and five, five subsidiary offices to manage their increasing wealth and power. So, you get 87,000 new IRS agents, right? And, and yeah, they're new. The news media has tried to say, no, 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 you're just restoring the IRS back to its previous levels that were, you know, back in the 90s or whatever. I'm sorry, can we make that same argument for everything else? So when we add, let's just say, we'll just say for the sake of argument, two million, we have 2 million people in the military. I know we have more, but just for the sake of argument. And then we add 100,000. Do we say that we increase troop strength by 100,000? Or do we say, no, no, no. Um, we're, we're just trying to replace the troops that we lost uh, from World War II. Which one do we do? It doesn't make any sense. 87,000 new IRS agents. That's what it is. Period. Stop with the stupid wordplay. So they're creating a new centralized office and five subsidiary offices to manage that. Anybody want to guess who's going to be in charge of the new centralized office that the IRS is building? Nicole Flax. Now, Nicole Flax worked for Lois. I can't do math. I'm just an attorney for the IRS learner. So Nicole Flax worked for Lerner during the IRS improper targeting of Tea Party groups during the Obama administration. She's now charged with uh, 
is in charge of building the office and flags at numerous meetings with Obama during the IRS targeting program. And then she later allegedly suffered a computer crash that supposedly deleted some of her emails. Because again, everything the left does, somehow, some way, emails get deleted. It's it's miraculous how that always that always shakes out. So she had a catastrophic computer failure that deleted all of her emails. Huh. Now, of course, everybody out there in IT is going, yeah, but that doesn't kill your emails. Might delete your emails off of that computer, but it doesn't it doesn't get rid of the email. The emails are still out there. So you got everywhere that the emails passed through, the server they were stored on, who sent them? Who received them? They all still have copies too. It was one of the questions we always had. It's interesting that they never they never tried to get the sender or the recipient of emails that were lost on her computer or anybody else's computer. They never tried to. Uh, so let me let me just ask a basic question for those you might be confused. If I send Ben an email and then I delete the email, does Ben still have the email or not? Still got it, right? Weird. Weird how she had such a catastrophic computer failure as they were facing potential criminal charges that all of her incriminating emails just disappeared. Amazing how that happens. Every single time with leftists. So, she gets to go out there and head up this central office and she is a corrupt bureaucrat who was involved in an illegal targeting scandal that the Obama administration had. Yeah, you should feel real comfortable about those 87,000 new agents. There is an Indian lady who's resigned from the NAACP and has accused the NAACP of racism against Asians. Vanessa Tulsi has resigned from her position as leader of the Orange County, Florida chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, which she led since March. Tulsi is reportedly of Indian heritage and hails from the Caribbean. She stated on Facebook, I will no longer, all capitals, no longer tolerate any racism against me for being a proud brown woman of South Asian and Caribbean descent. Wow. Sounds like um, NAACP has an anti-Asian problem. Kind of like most of the anti-Asian hate in this country comes from the black community. Not all of it. It's just that most of the documented hate crimes against Asians, the perpetrator happens to be somebody who is black. Why that is, not exactly sure. But I also found this interesting because... Earlier this week, there is a coalition, and this coalition, hold on a second, is the AAPI, and the AAPI, um, these are academic researchers that operate as the Asian American Disinformation Table, and basically what they're saying is, they're trying to tell you that it's white people who you should be aware of for anti-Asian discrimination, which is, again, completely contradictory to the actual information that we have. Why is it that Asians are predominantly targeted by, by black Americans? I don't know. I genuinely have no idea. But they are. 
And this AAPI group is out there trying to hide that and trying to tell you to focus on uh, white anti-Asian hate. Why not focus on the one that's the most prominent issue in your community? So that story came out earlier this week, and then now we've got a story here about a woman who headed up an NAACP chapter who resigned because she was routinely, according to her, I don't have any corroborating evidence, but according to her, she was routinely the victim of racism by members of the NAACP. Which I'm presuming, given the NAACP and uh, what they do and generally who staffs the NAACP, is going to be predominantly black people. So just something to be on the lookout for. We'll we'll see if the, the news media covers the NAACP engaging in racism against a, an Indian woman. We'll see if that happens. But probably not. They probably bury that one too. Because once again, friendly reminder, uh, Asians are white now. Got more coming up. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. So, we just had the CDC and everybody else basically just finally admit that um, slightly mature content. So, if you got kidlets in the car, maybe turn it down for three minutes or so, slightly mature content. The CDC has been forced to admit, and others have been forced to admit, that uh, really it's, it's the act of... Sex between two men that is spreading monkeypox, nothing else. Which, of course, leads to some questions about the dog who got monkeypox and the little girl who got monkeypox and had recently been adopted by that gay couple. I'm not accusing them of anything. I'm just saying, if this is the case, then maybe we need to revisit those things and the proper authority should probably take a look at it. Um, because if it spreads another way, people need to know. If it doesn't spread another way, and this is really just an STD, then the pro- you probably need to take a look at those cases, right? Now, beyond that, the CDC is now having a well. They're now issuing a new recommendation to help prevent the spread of monkeypox, which, of course, according to all of the data that we have in the new report that just came out is only spread by one activity between gay men at this point in time. So, uh, why is the CDC recommending face masks for monkeypox? They're saying respiratory secretions and things like that, so it's just like, here's here's the thing. If you're, if you're going to wear a, if you're going to wear a face mask, uh, when you're getting some strange as a gay man. I don't think that's going to be enough to protect you. Ben, what do you think? I think a face mask is going to be enough to protect somebody from a sexually transmitted disease in the middle of the act of, you know, stuff. Good to know. CDC is staying consistent. Uh, they're, they're still proposing masks that, that aren't actually going to do anything. So that's uh, it's definitely, definitely good to know. Globally, 98% of those infected with monkeypox are men who are active in a sexual lifestyle with other men. 98%. And the other ones, we now have some questions. 
because people are trying to figure out why is it that we only have one or two situations where somebody who is not in that group has the disease. So there's still a lot we have to learn about it, obviously, but the CDC is like, yeah, yeah, wear a face mask. Do the rest of it. That's fine. Just wear a face mask. (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, The CDC's community level tool is now broken. Oh, how convenient. That is a very convenient thing indeed. Brownstone Institute here. The new COVID-19 guidance issued by the Center for Disease Control may seem like the beginning of a welcome end to a two-and-a-half-year-old pandemic, but an over-reliance on the CDC's broken and discriminatory community-level tool may lead to unnecessary prolonging the, uh, prolonging the pandemic, keeping Americans in mass for years to come. Based on the improved phase of the COVID-19 pandemic and the widespread availability of several vaccines and treatments, CDC in August uh, August 11th issued loosened guidance at the same time. The CDC's push to get more government agencies businesses and schools to adopt its COVID-19 community level tool for masking decisions is concerning because the tool doesn't factor in the widespread availability of vaccines and treatments when determining levels within the counties across America. Yeah. So the tool sucks and it doesn't work. We already know that. Then of course you got people who are obviously getting rich off of COVID. Uh, There's a lot of people who jumped up who are involved in the, the, we'll just call it the COVID industry, not the pharmaceutical industry. We'll just call it the COVID industry. There's a ton of people who have now become billionaires because of COVID. Almost, yeah, maybe it's them taking advantage, taking full advantage of, of something that's that's happening. I Maybe. Or maybe that was just a part of the, the plan to begin with. Let's do this thing. Let's make a ton of money doing it. Uh, we'll use it as a social exercise and, and all of that stuff. And, and that, that could very well, could very well be what ended up happening. Fauci has announced his resignation. Uh, of course, we have been expecting him to hold on for a little bit, but he has officially announced his, his resignation. Um, he should be in prison. But again, um, he's been warned to preserve documents, which he won't preserve any documents. There's, there's, no, there's no doubt. He's going to get rid of his documents and nothing will happen. There'll be no FBI raid. Nothing will happen to that guy. Nothing. But he's being told to keep his documents, but he did make his announcement. I'm announcing today that I will be stepping down from the position of director of the national Institute of allergy, infectious disease and chief of the NIAID laboratory of immunizations, as well as positions, chief medical advisor to uh, former Vice President Joe Biden will be leaving these positions in December of this year to pursue the next chapter of my career, manufacturing ball and chains or license plates or something like that. So I don't think it's, anything's going to happen to him. I wish that stuff would happen to them, to him, excuse me. Um, he is going to collect when he retires. Remember, he's the highest paid man in the federal government. When he retires, he's going to get 350 grand a year from you. 350 grand a year. That's... When he retires, he's getting 350k every year at taxpayer expense. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't it be great to be able to retire that way? Fauci is set to receive an annual retirement package exceeding 350 grand following his controversial tenure as the director of the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. The staggering taxpayer-funded figure comes amidst Fauci, who sent U.S. taxpayer dollars to fund risky bat coronavirus research in China. 
uh, announcing that he'd stepped down from his post. But he will he will have to wait for his government checks for a while. He also announced, I am not retiring after more than 50 years of government service. I plan to pursue the next phase of my career. So he's just stepping down from his position. Now, between 2018 and 2020, that two-year period, he earned over $1.2 million. And that entitles him to a federal pension of $333,745 a year, plus cost of living increases as calculated by Open the Books. So, isn't that nice? You get to pay this guy for the rest of his life a crazy, ridiculous amount of money. And all he did was lie to all of you. What an absolute shame. And this whole thing probably happened in large part because of him anyway. But, you know, you've got a saving grace at night. His wife is really ugly and he has to live with her. MNC News Time is 531. Time to check out Impress Jewelry Creations, creating meaningful jewelry for the moments that last a lifetime. I just ran into something, and I don't know how I feel about it. So I need to walk through this with all of you, okay? This is what we're going to do. Have you seen this viral video of this dude at the baseball game? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you probably haven't seen it. So there, there's a guy at a baseball game, and he's holding just, just the hot dog, no bun. And then he takes a straw, and he punches the straw through the length of the hot dog, and then he uses the hot dog as a straw for his beer. <laughs> um, I, I, 30 seconds ago, I ran into this. I don't know how I feel about this. The, the website, not the Bee, which is the Babylon Bee's real news website. This man is either the greatest innovator of our time or the biggest villain, depending on who you ask. There are a lot of layers here involving hot dogs, beer, and baseball, so buckle up. Some people call this Yankees fan, because of course it's a Yankees fan, who decided to use his hot dog as a straw during a game on Monday at Yankee Stadium, the very worst of all criminals, perhaps of all time. Some are saying he's even more criminal than Fauci himself. The guy used a straw to make his hot dog into a straw, so that he could drink beer through the hot dog. And he got rid of the straw. Like the real straw. He just got rid of it. Uh, it. It sounds and looks immediately revolting. But you know you're over there thinking about it. I don't think we're thinking about it. Not the bee. Uh, other people with equally strong opinions view this man as a cultural hero. That is proof of a God in heaven who loves us. <laughs> Matt Walsh even said, like so many great innovators before him, this man will never be appreciated in his lifetime. Yeah, the Matt Walsh. Other people are like, life sentence, no parole. Um, a public defender actually responded to that post. Man took two delicious food objects normally eaten together. He can now slurp a joint flavor, a joint flavor, like a joint, like th those two flavors together, not like a joint. Uh, he can nibble his straw down and continue to use it as a straw. He can keep using his right hand to write five-star reviews. Um, <laughs> Dude, I don't. <laughs> I think there's a lot of guys out there. Okay, this is just from a purely male perspective, all right? 
I can see this working if a lady did it. And this is going to come off as, you know, it'll come off as probably a bit sexist. But ladies, I can see you getting away with this. Guys using a hot dog as a straw is an immediate no-no. Am I right? It's nothing to do with the flavors. It just has to do with the pure the pure uh, optics of it if you catch my drift. Ladies, I think, can get away with this, though. The sorority girls totally get away with this. I don't know about um, I don't know about the guys. It's yeah, wear a mask uh, so you don't get monkeypox, folks. All right, so the White House is teasing the student loan forgiveness thing. They're saying that they're considering forgiving those loans up to ten thousand dollars. A couple of things I want you to keep in perspective before that happens. Um, working class people are going to get screwed on this deal. We've continued to talk about this over time. It, you're looking at the average working class, right? You're going to have to pay for it. And you're the ones that are going to do it. Um, most working class people didn't take out loans that they couldn't pay back. that were unaffordable. Uh, working class people didn't get degrees that were in useless, nonsensical stuff for the most part. So you're going to have to pay for all of this, and that sucks. Most student loan debt is actually held by people who have master's degrees or higher. 56 to 60% of student loan debt is held by people with master's degrees or more. It depends on which study you're looking at. Now, people with master's degrees or higher tend to be high-income earners. Do high-income earners need to have their student loan debt forgiven, or should lower-income earners who got degrees in basket-weaving or women's studies have their loans forgiven? I mean, none of them should have their loans forgiven, but you get get the idea. Uh, Do you give the loan forgiveness to the wealthier, higher-earning person or to the person who's not wealthy and doesn't earn that much? If you're going to provide it, logic would dictate you go to the person who desperately needs it, not the person who's doing fine. Most of the Congress people who are vocal about student loan forgiveness actually want their student loans forgiven. Uh, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, AOC, uh, they all make close to $200,000 a year, yet they say they can't pay off their student loans. AOC gave that speech not that long ago where she talked about her student loan debt being so horrible. What was it, like fifteen grand or something like that? She had like 15000 left in still. It's like, okay, cupcake. Um, Joe Biden White House aides hold a combined total of $4.7 million in loan debt, in student loan debt. According to Bloomberg, at least 30 senior White House staffers have student loan balances, according to Bloomberg News. And they got this from the Office of Government Ethics. So combined, it's $4.7 million. So As we've highlighted before, the vast majority of student loan debt is going to benefit people who have already got a high income. They're not going to benefit the average person out there all that much. And this is going to be a massive waste of taxpayer dollars. Absolute waste of taxpayer dollars. So that's what uh, they're looking at doing. And and the latest report is they're leaning towards a 10K forgiveness. And more coming up. Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey, thanks for the visual. Heck no on the straw. The debate is happening on Discord, on the live stream, on Rumble.com, whether or not this is appropriate behavior for uh, for anybody outside, but especially a dude. I, I don't know. The flavor combination, people are like, hey, this is a self-made beer brat, okay? It's, <laughs> I don't, 
I don't doubt the flavor combination is probably okay. You take a bad beer, you drink it through a bad hot dog, and then maybe you get something that's all right. You know, it's this guy's at Yankee Stadium. How much does Yankee Stadium charge for hot dogs? There's got to be a price here. Hold on. Yankee Stadium hot dog price. Hold on. Wow, it's only three bucks at Yankee Stadium? No way. What? Yankee Stadium price of a beer is six, and the price of a hot dog is three bucks. What? A Yankee? St- what? I went to no. a, I went to a South Bend Cubs game. I don't know last weekend, and it was like fifteen bucks for both. It's only nine bucks for a dog and a beer at Yankee Stadium. They got to be laundering Ukrainian money or something over there. How can they pay the players that they pay? What? All right, well, that just shot my entire argument through the foot. Like anybody who's been to Wrigley knows that ain't the case. But, <laughs> my God, I didn't know that the Yankees only charged three bucks for a dog. Jeez. Sonic charges more for a hot dog. You go to Sonic right up the road, they charge more for a hot dog than Yankee Stadium does. I don't know. If you haven't seen the video, though, I put it in the Daily Show Prep today. Go to btmedia.news and go into the Show Prep section. You'll see it in there. Watch the video. Leave your comments and let me know what you think. You know, is it acceptable or not? I'm. I say it's only acceptable for the ladies. I'm sorry. I'm just. I don't know, man. I don't know about this one, but I could be wrong. You let me know. All right, we got uh, we got Bill O'Reilly up next. We'll see you tomorrow.